Father, we do ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, as we see things going on, the fires, um, another hurricane hit it in the Gulf, um, the unrest, the uncertainty, the confusion, the, the everything that, we, that has taken place, and then in our own personal lives, that, Lord, I know that this morning that this story that maybe perhaps we're familiar with is going to be a great encouragement to us. And, Lord, you do travel with us. You care about us. And, Lord, this morning I pray that our heart would be attentive to your word. And, Lord, be touched by you as we desire to hear from you. And, Lord, to be built up. So we give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we've gone as far as verse 18 of Matthew chapter 9. And we do read that Matthew records while he spoke these things to them. And what things? Well, if you were with us last week in our study, that the disciples of John came to Jesus, was asking him about fasting. And why don't your disciples fast like what we do in the Pharisees? And, of course, we talked about that last week. And then Jesus, as he's talking about, he's doing something new. This is uh, a new work that he's doing. You put new wine in new wineskins. I think it was a great encouragement for us because the Lord wants to do a new work in our lives, personally, in our families, and in this church family. And, and as we looked at that very carefully, we continue reading that, Behold, in verse 18, Matthew writes, a ruler came and worshiped him saying my daughter has just died but come and lay your hand on her and she will live so we are now introduced to a man Matthew telling us that he is a ruler we know from Mark's account and Luke's account of this story that the man's name was Jairus he was the ruler of the synagogue now Luke tells us that he fell down at Jesus feet at this point Matthew tells us that he worshiped worshiped Jesus Jairus, his name means Jehovah enlightens. And how true that will become to Jairus as we move through this story. Now keep in mind as we talk about the synagogue going through the Gospels, that the synagogue is not the same as the temple. The temple standing in Jerusalem, it was a magnificent building. It was the second temple that was built after the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. And what we have talked about all of that going through Jeremiah, study is that the the house of Judah would go off into captivity eventually Jerusalem is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar the king of the Babylonians his armies the Solomon's temple which was a magnificent temple was destroyed and as they were off into captivity that they began to synagogue worship in other words that they would begin to meet in their homes and in, in different places it is believed that Ezekiel played a part in that because as you read the book of Ezekiel, that it says that he had the elders over to his house as he was prophesying off into captivity there in Babylon. And then that would continue as the decree was given that they could go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the second temple, rebuild the city, the wall around Jerusalem, eventually by Nehemiah. But only a small remnant would go back to Jerusalem. And the Jews began to be dispersed 
all over the known world. So the synagogue worship was a place where they could gather and worship. The second temple would be that place where they would come to Jerusalem and celebrate the feasts, and they would do the sacrifices there. But the synagogue was like church, like what we have. And whenever there was a city or a village that had 10 male um, Jews that were there, they would have a synagogue. And then they had one that was called the ruler of the synagogue. He, he oversaw that. And the ruler of the synagogue would take care of the synagogue. He would care for the Torah that was locked away in the cabinet. He would get the order of service and He would officiate the service. Uh, He would arrange for a guest rabbi to speak if they had an opportunity for that. You know, he he just took care of everything. He made the coffee, made sure the donuts were ready to go, and the bulletins and all of that. But he was the one that was like a pastor of a church. And remember that in the previous chapter, as we open up to Jairus, who's a ruler, the ruler of the synagogue, that it was the centurion... Uh, that sent this delegation of Jewish elders to Jesus asking on his behalf that the centurion servant would be healed. And so this delegation of Jewish men came to Jesus, as you recall, as we went over that story, and said to Jesus that, that this centurion, this Roman soldier, has been good to us, and he's built us a new synagogue. So I think that no doubt that Jairus would be a part of that Jewish delegation that came to Jesus that would ask for healing on behalf of the centurion and his servant. So Jairus here, as we consider him, he's seen Jesus work in miracles. And no doubt he has heard his teachings on the kingdom. So he comes, and as Matthew, once again, we're reminded that we read that he worships Jesus. He says that my daughter is dead. Mark tells us that he said she is at the point of death. So why did Jairus, as we consider this story that is before us, why did he wait so long to come to Jesus? Here she is. She is at the point of death. Lay your hand on her, and she will live. Well, it could be that as he's the ruler of the synagogue, they were very influential in their community. They were ones that would settle civil disputes in the community. They were ones that gave counsel to the people. Uh, They were ones that were the the religious leaders, and, and they were influential. They had a very important position in the eyes of the people. And at this point, the religious leaders are beginning to mount their opposition against Jesus. They're already upset that he has said that you don't want to be like the hypocrites who are the Pharisees and the scribes and how they pray and how they fast and how they give. Uh, they would uh, come against Jesus because he would offer you know, forgiveness to that man that had palsy and your sins are forgiven. They said, who can forgive sin but, but God? And they weren't accepting that he's the son of God. He's the God man. And so they're beginning to mount their opposition. That is going to increase as we continue Matthew and it's particularly going to increase concerning the Sabbath and the keeping of the Sabbath and then move into the synagogue here in Capernaum. 
So with the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the Herodians, the others that are mentioned here in the Gospels, that they are beginning to put pressure on people that you don't align yourself with Jesus. And you see the hints of that very clearly in the gospel narratives. And as Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue, he would really risk his position, his reputation, uh, his status. Uh, he would lose his income, uh, perhaps, if he's excommunicated. And the very fact that he would come and he would worship Jesus fall down by that very act, he's putting himself at jeopardy, his life as a ruler, his life as overseeing the synagogue. So there's some very serious, you know, consequences that can happen if word gets around that Jairus has done this. And yet he is willing to risk it all. He worships Jesus. His daughter, who we know from the other Gospels, was 12 years old. And those of you who are parents raising kids... Nothing moves us more than when our children are sick, when they are hurting. And that really never stops, does it? Even when they become adults. And as he comes to Jesus, there is a sense of urgency that is here. She is at the point of death. Jairus coming face to face with death of his daughter. But he knows what to do. He goes to Jesus and as we consider this, once again, we put ourselves in, in, in their situation. I'm sure that Jairus' wife, and we know that he was married because the other gospels speak of the little girl's parents. And so Jairus' wife, I wonder if she's saying, listen, you need to go to Jesus. Jairus, you need to go to him. Why are you waiting? I don't care what the religious leaders are telling you, what they're threatening to do. If you associate with him, You've seen him work in miracles. You've seen him heal. You've seen it with your own eyes. Go to him. You need to bring him back to our home, to our daughter. He is our hope. He's our only option. We don't know what happened to Jairus' daughter. Did she have a disease that is bringing her to a the point of death? Does she have a sickness, a fever that all of a sudden that it's not going down, it's getting worse, she's losing her strength, she's, she's gasping for air? We don't know for sure. Perhaps they tried doctors, they tried to help her in every way, but she is now dying and she's at the point of death. There are no more resources, there's no more options, there's no one else that they can rely on, there's nothing else that they can do and they say we have to go to Jesus. He is our only hope. And there will be a time in all of our lives where the position we have in life or the prominence or the finances or the intelligence or the resources that we have will not be sufficient to help us. And we come to that realization that Jesus is my only hope. And we fall before him and we say, Lord, help me. Help me. I cannot fix this. 
I don't have a solution. I don't have the strength. I can't come up with a plan. I need you. And why did Jairus wait so long? We don't know, but he does come. And as Matthew records, that he falls down at the feet of Jesus and worships him. He's begging him, please come. My daughter is at the point of dying. And I am so impressed and so touched with Jesus' compassion and patience. He doesn't say, Jairus, you should have done this a while back. You should have done this yesterday. You should have come to me a while ago, but I'm a little busy right now. You've seen me work. He doesn't do that. He says, I'll come. And I am very thankful, even in those times in my own life, where I've tried to make a plan, I, I've gone to this option, uh, I've tried to figure things out myself, tried to do it in my own energy, when I've come to that point of, Lord, I can't do this, I have no other options, I can't make a plan, Lord, I need you. This, he doesn't say, forget you, Jeff. You should have come a long time ago. You should have learned this lesson. But no, in his compassion and in his mercy, he receives me. And I come to realize that, Lord, you're the one that truly is my help. And it shows me how much he cares for me. And it shows me how much I need him. So Jairus, he comes. And as we continue, he, he implores Jesus to come to his house. Meanwhile, as, as we read in verse 19, Jesus arose and followed him. And so did his disciples. And in verse 20, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. So we know about Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. Now we're introduced to this woman. Her name is not given. We know nothing about her except what the Gospels tell us, the synoptic Gospels. Now, church tradition, this is church tradition, tells us that she came from that area of Caesarea Philippi. That's north of Capernaum at the base of Mount Hermon. Uh, later, we're going to see that that's where Peter gives his confession. He says that you're the Christ, the son of the living God to Jesus, that she's from that area. Also, church tradition tells us that she was a woman of wealth. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know for sure, but we do know what the Bible says, that that is true. And Luke tells us in his account of this story, and Luke being a doctor tells us, she spent all of her money on doctors to no help. She is broke, and she only got worse. With this condition where she has this issue of blood for 12 years, I'm sure that she is weak she is worn out. She is so tired. Twelve years ongoing, getting worse. The physical wear, the emotional despair, and she has no resources. She has no options. She has no other plan in her circumstances. And she says, I've got to go to Jesus. She realizes, he's my only hope. And this is where Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and this woman who is not named here, they come together on this day because they said, we've got to make our way to Jesus. And right there we learn from these two people that have different needs, but they have needs nonetheless. We learn from them. And I think this morning what we can take away is this, that you and I need to be in a place where you know the Lord is traveling. And where is that? He promises to be in the midst of his people. 
He says we can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And when we find ourselves at the end of, the, of our options, the end of our plans, and our resources and our strength, when we find ourselves at the end of the world, our own world, where even David would cry out, from the ends of the earth I will cry out to you when my heart is overwhelmed. And attend to my prayer, O Lord, that we know that he hears us and he inclines his ear to us and he loves us and he wants to work. We know these things. And this woman heard where he was, and she said, I've got to get there. I've got to get to the place where Jesus is moving through, and I know that he's going to work. I believe he will work, and I know that he wants to work in my life if I can just touch the hem of his garment. You see, this woman is going to have to push her way through that crowd and get to Jesus. She's going to be healed miraculously, it's recorded for us in God's word for all eternity because she said, I've got to touch the hem of his garment. Uh, you have this contrast between Jairus and, and this woman. Jairus, for 12 years as his daughter was born, his house full of laughter and joy and gladness, watching this little girl grow. She's growing into a, a young lady. Uh, the joy that she brought to her parents, to her family for the last 12 years. Their home full of the voices of her daughter, full of laughter, just watching her grow. We know how that is. Contrast that with this woman for the last 12 years. There's been difficulty and suffering and isolation, and she's all alone. But they both converge and come to Jesus on this day. And as we continue reading in verse 22, but Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Uh, now we know from Mark and Luke that this woman, when she touched Jesus, that immediately the flow of blood stopped. And, and, and Jesus stopped that whole procession. Keep in mind, there's Jairus out in front, and they're making their way to his house, and this woman comes and reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and, and the, uh, the issue of blood stops. Uh, it, it stops flowing, and Jesus stopped and said, Who touched me? Is what the other Gospels tell us. Who touched me? And the disciples said, What do you mean, who touched you? The multitudes are pressing in on you. There's people all around you. What do you mean, who touched you? No, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. And the woman comes, we know, trembling and falling down before him and declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched them. And that's where Matthew picks it up here as we read in verse 22 that he would say, Jesus, to her, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that very hour. You got to picture the scene here. Uh, I just picture, here the crowds are great. Uh, the multitudes are great. They're pressing in on Jesus. Jairus is out in front of this procession. He's in a hurry. My daughter's at the point of death. We've got to get to her. Get out of the way. And he's kind of pushing people, excuse us, please. We're in a hurry. This is an emergency. We've got to get going. Please 
Help Jesus get through this and his disciples. We got to make our way to our house. This is important. And he's pushing people, you know, out of the way. He, he's all of a sudden, you know, just in, a, in this place of almost like, you know what? Please just move. And, and you got to get out of the way. And, and he's hurrying the master along. And he looks back and all of a sudden Jesus stopped. All of a sudden, the procession stops and Jesus is talking to this woman and ministering to this woman. And it's an interruption to Jairus. This was not a good time. We're in a hurry. I have a need. Why are you stopping? I don't know about you guys, but I don't like interruptions. And I'll be real honest with you. Sometimes I do not do well with interruptions. And I know over the last six months, I haven't always done well with the interruptions that all of us have gone through with this pandemic. All of a sudden, this abrupt stop, no services, no meetings, no small groups. Now we're slowly getting back and meetings, still trying to figure it all out. You've had to deal with it as well when it comes to your job, when it comes to plans, when it comes to your family, when it comes to school, when it comes to activities, when it comes to things. Maybe you've had an interruption in life that has nothing to do with the pandemic. Maybe it has something to do with something entirely different. But there's an interruption, and you're waiting on the Lord, and it's hard to wait on the Lord. But in our spiritual lives, we need to learn to wait on him because we live in an instant world. Man, I want to keep moving. I want to move forward. Get out of the way. I got things to do. And the Lord will bring me to that point where there's an interruption or he brings me to that point where I have to learn to wait on him. And the scripture says that as we wait on him, that he will be good to us. He'll be gracious to us. He'll be compassionate to us. And I know that as I learn these lessons, just as Jairus is learning this, and just as you are learning as well, that the interruptions that the Lord has allowed in our lives, that we need to keep in mind this. He's still traveling with you. He's still traveling with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. It isn't that Jesus is going to say, oh, Jairus, I forgot all about you. You know, I got a little busy here. He's still traveling with us. He's still working. He still sees us. He's still showing his love and working in our lives in a wonderful way. And in the middle of all of this, in this interruption, Jairus trying to get Jesus through the crowds. Here comes this woman who had this issue of blood for 12 years. And I'm sure he's thinking, why is he talking to her? You know, she presses through the crowd. She reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. And Dr. Luke tells us immediately that she was made whole. But as she was healed, Jesus stopped that whole procession. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him and said, what do you mean who touched you? And of course, it was Peter that piped up, we know. Who, who touched you? There's people all around you. There's people touching you all the time. What do you mean somebody touched you? The multitudes are here pressing in on you. The King James says they throng you. But I'll tell you this. There's only one that really touched him. There was only one that really touched him. Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. Because I perceive power coming out from me. 
And you see, Jesus always recognizes the touch of a soul in agony. And maybe you're here this morning and you're in agony or you're upset or you're hurting. Maybe you're isolated. Something going on in your life, a situation that you're facing, whatever it means, that as you reach out and as you call out to the Lord, He desires to minister to you. He desires to touch your heart, to give you the comfort you need, the healing you need emotionally, spiritually. He desires to give you the strength you need and the comfort you need because Jesus recognizes that touch immediately of the one who has need. And he touched us. He, he stopped his whole procession. And he said, who touched me? Virtue power has gone out. And then the scripture tells us that the woman had openly confessed to all that had happened. And she falls down at his feet trembling. You see, Jesus will not allow you and me to be a secret disciple for very long. People try at times. I don't want to tell people at work that I'm a Christian. I don't want people to know in my neighborhood or at school. They want to be a secret disciple. I don't want to tell people I believe in the Bible and I believe in Jesus. I don't want to tell people about it. I want to get into it. But I'll tell you this, in the day in which we were living in, that's not going to last very long. Because we're all going to have to make decisions that whether we're going to show in our lives, even if we don't even say anything, that I'm a follower of Jesus. I am not going to go with the guys after work to the bar and hang out. I'm not going to party. I'm not going to take this stuff. I'm not going to be involved in these things. I'm not going to adopt the philosophy and the ways and the trends of the world because I believe in Jesus and I believe the Word of God. And He will bring us to that place of public confession and therefore, listen, when He does that, He's going to bring you to a place of intimate fellowship with Himself. So he spoke to her. And notice as we read here in verse 22, he said to her, daughter. I have that word underlined. You see, the religious leaders of the time would have said, you got an issue of blood that's been going on for 12 years, so you're unclean. You're being judged by God. That's how they would explain someone who had physical infirmity or sickness that continued. She's to be cut off from all religious life, all religious worship. Can't go to Jairus' synagogue. I wonder if he was thinking that. Why are you talking to her? I had to excommunicate her. Why are you talking to her? So along with that, I wonder, was she married? Did she have kids? Did she have grandkids? If she was married, she probably would have had her husband divorce her because of her sickness. She has lost literally everything. She has no money. She has no friends. She has no position. She has no acceptance. She is ostracized, excommunicated. She's all alone, and she fights through that crowd with all of her strength, which wasn't much, and she reaches out and she touches Jesus, and he stops and he says, Who touched me? And then he looked at her as he brought her to himself. He looked at her right in the eyes. And he said one word that would make everything okay. He said, daughter. He called her daughter. He took that ostracized, excommunicated, looked 
down upon woman and brought her into the heart of God and said, daughter, you may be an outcast in society, but not with me. You may be divorced from your husband, but now you're married to me. You may be excommunicated from religion, but I've accepted you and I love you. And he looked at her. I know that he did. And he said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. And I believe that it was more than just a physical healing that he's referring to, but a spiritual healing because the Lord, if he had done nothing else here, if she had not been healed physically at all, that it would have been okay. Because the Lord brought her into the family of God. And when we're brought into the family of God, we can truly be of good cheer. Amen. So here's the story continues. Verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. And when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. So again, as we look at the other gospel accounts, what we read is that Jesus, is he still speaking to this woman? Somebody comes to Jairus. Remember, he's in the head of this procession and comes to Jairus and says, listen, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't, don't trouble the master anymore because your daughter is dead. Can you imagine Jairus hearing those words? Your daughter is dead. How his heart sank. How perhaps he was confused. Why did you minister to her but me? I have a need. Why did you ignore me? Don't trouble him. And Jesus came and said, fear not, only believe. And he travels on to the house of Jairus where his daughter lay dead. As all who were there wept and mourned, the flute players, the, the, they wailed. And see, back in those days in that culture, they would have professional mourners who would come to your house and they would play the flute and they would wail and it was a big scene. And, and Jesus says, don't weep. She's not dead, only sleeping. And it says that they ridiculed him. They laughed him to scorn, the Gospels say. They mocked him. So they went from mourning to mocking to lamenting, to laughing. Do you know that whenever Jesus wants to do work in your life, the mockers are going to be there? Don't pray for that, that situation, that there's deadness, that, that son, that daughter, that grandchild, that, uh, that's dead spiritually, that they're not a believer. Don't pray for that marriage. Don't pray for that situation. Don't do it. What has God ever done for you? He's not going to work. He doesn't care about you. People will come to us and they'll begin to mock. God, God, if he really cared, you wouldn't be in this situation. This wouldn't be happening to you. And one of the things that we need to learn in our spiritual lives is this. You need to move the mockers out, folks. And then bring Jesus in. Move the mockers out. They were put out before Jesus went in. And we can say, Lord, whatever your will is, I can trust you, and I know your promises are true for me, and you love me. And you are working in eternity's values and views. 
And Lord, I can trust you for that. And he goes over to that 12-year-old girl, girl, and he takes her by the hand, and he said, little girl, arise, tell I thy kumai, in the Aramaic. Little girl, arise, and immediately life came into that little girl, and she arose. And then Jesus said to the parents we know, get her something to eat. I think that's wonderful. This is just not a picture of Jesus as a man. This is the God-man. This is God robbing death and raises a little girl back to life and then worries whether she's hungry. That's God. God is concerned whether a 12-year-old girl is hungry or not. That's the heart of deity that Jesus is showing us here. He raises her from the dead, commanded the parents to give her food. To me, it's beautiful. Reaching down, taking that little girl by the hand, saying, little girl, rise, and she gets up. Can you imagine what is going through Jairus, through her parents' heart and mind as she all of a sudden the color comes back, and all of a sudden she opens her eyes, and all of a sudden she, she gets up. Get her something to eat. You know, during this pandemic here at Calvary Chapel, listen. We've seen people come to life. We have seen people come to life that were dead spiritually. That have come to Jesus. And one of the things that I know that God wants to do is he wants to bring people to life that are dead spiritually. As we give them Jesus and the gospel, he wants to do that work. People are coming to life. We're seeing young people do that. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to feed them. We're going to feed them God's word. And we're going to care for them, and we're going to love them and do the best that we can and keep pointing them to Jesus. These parents are astonished and as we consider this story, there are so many lessons that are here that we travel with Jesus. We move the mockers out and bring Jesus in. We trust in him. We look to him and waiting on the Lord and all of this. But there's one more point, and then we're going to finish up that I'd like to make. The other gospels tell us, and some of you know this, that it was Peter, James, and John that went into the house with Jesus. Jesus' inner circle we will see on three occasions that Peter, James, and John accompanied Jesus. This was the first when Jairus' daughter was raised. And then we'll see at the Mount of Transfiguration later in Matthew when he's on the mountain and he's transfigured. He's, he's meeting with Moses and Elijah. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is arrested and taken to go and die on the cross. In each of those events, it had something to do with death. Here we see that in the home of Jairus, that Jesus shows us that he has power and victory over death as he raises his daughter up. The Mount of Transfiguration, as Jesus is there, as he's transfigured, and he's talking with Moses and Elijah about his impending death, that we learned that we're going to be, he's going to be glorified in death. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, as right before he would go through the sufferings of the cross, he surrendered to death. You see, we're going to read here in just a few weeks that Jesus says that whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know what the key to life is? You know it. Death. It's death. 
Jesus says, die to self, pick up your cross, and follow after me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is faith in Jesus Christ. And he's the one that brings life to us spiritually because we're dead spiritually in our sins. And we know that as we come to him, that he had power over sin and death. He rose from the grave. People will say to you, why is Christianity so unique? Why is, you know, do you say Jesus is the only way? Because he's the only one that conquers sin and death. He said, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. And he proved it as he went to the cross to die for your sins and invalidated what he did as he conquered sin and death and rising from the grave. You know, all other religious leaders are in their tomb. They're in the grave. Only Jesus rose from the grave. He's victorious over death and sin, victorious and has power over sin and death. And that's where we come and have life. And we know that we're going to be glorified, aren't we? We're all going to be in heaven together. We're all going to be together in heaven, and I can't wait for that day. And we're going to have new glorified bodies. That's our future. That's what we have to look forward to. But I also know this, that Jesus, as Jesus surrendered to death, he tells you and I that we are to surrender completely to him. You want to enjoy life and experience life the way it was really meant to be experienced and have fulfillment and real purpose and joy and gladness of heart and peace and comfort. You want that, don't you? I know that you want that. I don't think that there's anyone here, if I said, do you really want to be miserable in life, you know, and unfulfilled and, you know, just struggle through life, that you guys would start raising your hands? Yes, that's me. And maybe you're in that place. But listen, Jesus said, I come to give you life and life abundantly. You want to experience that abundant life? We're not talking as the faith teachers say, just, you know, name it and claim it and have all this stuff. Listen, you want to experience life the way that the Lord desires for us to live in real peace and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction, you die to self. We live in a world today that says focus on self, celebrate self, esteem self, you know, all this stuff. Everything centers around self. No, you die to self. And you follow him, surrender to him, because he has so much for you as you travel with him. He has so much for you that he wants to do for me, for us, especially in the day in which we're living in, in using this. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this lesson that's so important that is before us. And Lord, I thank you that you travel with us. And even in those times of interruptions or waiting on you or we're not sure why you're working in a way that you are, that we know that you care for us and you love us. And Lord, that we can just trust in what you're doing. We may not fully understand it at times, but you are working in eternity's values and perspectives. So Lord, we thank you that we're reminded of that this morning. And I want to pray if there's anyone here, maybe you're in the backyard or maybe in the coffee shop or maybe you're listening online or later on the radio, that you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus and come to him for eternal life. He conquered sin and death. He went to a cross to die for you because of his love for you. 
And the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. And it only comes through Jesus, the cross. He made atonement for your sins and he validated what he did by rising from the grave. And he loves you so much and he says, come to me. He says, come to me. Believe in me. And give your heart to me. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and you can do that right now. You can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose from the grave and I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, I thank you for calling me into the family of God. And I want to travel with you and know you for you really to sit upon the throne of my heart to die to self because I know that if I lose my life I will find it that life abundantly comes through you so I want to know you and just walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus name and if you're here and perhaps there's something going on in your life there just seems to be something that's dying something that's troubling there's sickness maybe in your own spiritual walk, with your faith, in a relationship, whatever the case may be, will you look to him? He sees you. He desires for you to reach out and touch him because he cares for you to cast your cares upon him. He recognizes what's in your heart. He sees it. He loves you. And to know that his promises are true for you that you can trust them with every area of your life. So Lord, I pray that you would comfort your people and work. We need to move the mockers out, those who say you can't work. You're not real. Your word's not true. Yes, Lord, we know that you are true and your word is, is true and you are real. And your love for us is real because we can look to the cross where you proved your love for us. Bless everyone here this morning as we go our way now in our week coming up. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand? Middle schoolers, you'll be meeting upstairs in the youth room. Parents, 1.30, if you can pick them up. And also have a great week. Remember, we're registering for services as we come and we're filling up services. And, um, and just we'll continue to do that for a little while. But God bless you. And Travis is going to close us. If you need prayer, I want to be here to pray with you.